0: All right, let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, today is a fun day. It's a day filled with your joy and your love. And uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit makes our hearts leap with joy in thankfulness for you and what you've done. May today be an awesome reminder of your work you've done in our hearts and in our lives. Remind us today that you walk with us every step of the way. You never leave us alone nor forsake us. Thank you for that truth. Amen. This morning we are going to continue in our series uh, called Grace to Rebuild Our Lives. We began this a couple weeks back. um, There's a lot of people going through tough stuff, tough issues in life, anniversaries of difficult things that have happened to us, um, current situations that are rough, loss, loss of relationships, loss of a loved one through death. Um, lots of things. And there's, there's crises that happens. There's people who've gone through financial ruin and, and are trying to rebuild. And uh, some are facing ruin and don't know how to make ends meet or stay above the water, and it's hard. And I want to give some encouragement from the story of Nehemiah of how God rebuilds our lives and encourages us along the way. Today I'm going to talk about the gateways on the journey of grace, the gateways. Well, so far the story has gone like this. We began with Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah uh, was a cupbearer to a king And uh, he was far away from the city of Jerusalem, for those of you that have not been following the story. Um, And so he has these friends from Jerusalem show up. And they share with him the story of what's happened to his people, his nation, his relatives. And he is in absolute torn despair oh my God, what has happened? And he cries out to God, prays desperately, I need help, my people need your help. By the way, I'm going to remind you, God, of all the stuff you promised you would do if we repented and all that stuff. Now give me favor as I go talk to the king for a favor. So he goes and talks to the king, asks for time off, King gives it to him. Not only does he get time off, he gets an army of soldiers to protect him along the way and materials to rebuild the the gates of the city and so on. Like, it's it's crazy what he got. He got, like, overabundant blessings on this trip. He shows up at the city of Jerusalem, sneaks out at night while nobody's watching, and he inspects all the gates. He inspects all the walls. They were burned, so they were charred. He was trying to find out the state of them. He didn't tell anybody what he was doing. Quite incognito. Finally, he declares, and three days later, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild the walls. God has given us favor, people. Come on, let's do this. And the people went, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I'm in, okay. And they, they, they all jumped on board, except for those that were paid to keep them from rebuilding the wall. So there was serious, serious opposition. There was heavy mocking going on to the people. But it starts off, the, in fact, uh, chapter 3, which we're going to be looking at today, I'm probably not going to read it because it's a list of names of who built the certain sections of the wall. So if you're into names, it's loaded with names of people. So that we begin with the sheep gate. That's the first one that gets built, and we'll talk about that in just a second. So the sheep gate's built, and it's the first one on the list. Uh, it's an incredible gate that it really is very very important but what's interesting about this the whole story all through the city all the way around everybody is pitching in they're not doing it like construction here where you start over here and you work your way, and then you kind of build all the way through they were all building the whole wall all the way up at the same time it was crazy and it got scarier because now, once they got to halfway, the threats grew. And they were threatened to be attacked. And so he had to pull back some of the workers and arm them. Nehemiah sent some of his guards who were helping build. He set them up and said, nope, you're going to guard. You're going to guard all the low sections, all the dangerous sections, the, the ungated sections. This is, this, we're going to protect this. Well, the neighboring kings had hired people to make sure the walls would never be built. And man, they got really fiery, and they actually called Nehemiah, hey, let's have a meeting, let's talk about this, let's be diplomatic. And Nehemiah knew full well they wanted to take him out or harm him, but really they were going to try and assassin him. That's really what was going to happen, because if they can take him out, there's nobody else to lead this. And he knew that was coming, and he never went, and he kept sending letters, and uh, uh, kind of called, called them on their, on their bluff. And eventually it got built. The whole thing, I think it was 59 days. I forget now. I shouldn't forget because that's a really cool number. All right, here we go. I'll get to it later whenever I find it. I can't find it fast enough. Oh, no, it's over here. So on October 2nd, the wall was finally finished just 52 days after they had begun. 52 days later, entire walls of Jerusalem. Let's take a look to see what that means. This is the picture of the walls of what it would look like. Not not literally. It's a drawing, just in case you can't tell. All right, it's not. Yeah. So here's here's the sheep gate. This is where we're going to begin. Uh, the sheep gate is really really important. Uh, in fact, uh, what I want to do today is I want to show you some parallels. Each gate has a significant. It's it's like a picture. We're going to go around the whole thing, and it's going to be like a parallel of our journey of life of how we grow in our spiritual walk and things that happen. And sometimes we repeat some of these things. And I think you'll probably identify with some of them. And what's interesting is, all through this chapter, all the names of the helpers are listed. I'm sure there were some unlisted, but names galore. And that is a significant thing for us today. Some people don't, you know, they don't think they need anybody else to help them or, um, or they want to help being unrecognized, which is fine. But it's a collection of people. God uses all of us as a group, as a family, as a church in whatever He's doing. Uh, some of you may think, I got nothing to offer. I'm just, I got no gifts. I've just nothing. And yet, you're here and you are an inspiration by your very presence. Do not underestimate your presence, your role, what you do, how you, how you greet, all that stuff. Like, everything matters, everybody plays a small role. Some people play a larger role, some people play smaller roles, and names matter. So that was kind of cool, come, having that come out like that. The meaning of these ten gates, it's a progression. So, the sheep gate. The sheep gate is like the picture of Jesus. Okay, It's the picture of the cross in one sense. This sheep gate is where the sheep that were being used for, for the slaughter of sacrifices, that's where they would come in and go in and out whatever happened over there. But this is the very first gate mentioned. Um, this is where all the lambs and everything that were brought through. Uh, there's also two towers in this spot, and it's kind of significant. The Tower of Henanel. it really means God's mercy. So you've got the first gate, the cross, mercy, right there. This is how it begins. And Jesus being the lamb slain, like this is, the imagery is profound if you want to go deeper. And then there's another tower, which I just found out about it because I never cared before, but as I was looking through, I went, ooh, that's cool. It's called the Tower of Miha. <clears throat> Do you know what that means? No, you don't. It means 100. Tower of 100. Your Bible translations will probably say Tower of 100. Well, isn't it interesting that Jesus' one illustration about sheep, he says he'll leave the 99 to find the one, choosing the 100 sheep gate. Like, all this imagery. Right through the Jewish history, and if we never, I would never have seen this stuff if it wasn't pointed out. There's no way I could have. So it's really cool when you start to connect the dots. This whole Sheep Gate is also like the experience that we have when we become a believer, when we wake up to the reality, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, when we believe. However, that works. When that moment hits, there is an awakening and a recognition of what Christ did at the cross. Absolute recognition. Wow! Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for being the lamb that was slain for me. It's a powerful picture. So this again, Nehemiah's Jerusalem. That's the the picture of the cross, and it ends back at the cross at the very end as well, which is kind of cool. Like the cross is critical in the story of our spiritual lives. Quite powerful. All right, next, um, the fish gate. How many fishermen do we have here? One. How many wannabes? <laughs> yeah, my kids always catch more fish than I do, uh, except last summer. That was my year. Yes. The fish gate. This is kind of cool. It's, in the, it's an illustration of, of sharing good news. Uh, Jesus talked about uh, beca- us becoming fishers of men. Um, but this is the place where the, the fishermen brought their fish in from the Lake of Galilee and sold their goods, and it was probably a smelly area. you know. And uh, um, It's, it's kind of like when you have a whole bunch, you're, you bring your whole bunch for others to enjoy. So that they had a market there. It's very much like the woman at the well who, after being told some good news and told she's loved and however God messaged it to her through Jesus, she had to go and blab her mouth to all of her friends and family back in the village. Jesus did not tell her, go tell everybody. You know, this, this is her, can't contain what's already in. It's like too many fish. You got to give it out. And it's, it's kind of cool illustration. I thought it was, maybe it's a stretch, but I thought it was cool. The old gate, yeah this one 's going to be fun. Um, the old gate speaks to us of ancient ways of truth. this is a, a, i don 't even know why they called it the old gate. it just is called the Old Gate, but for us, in this day and age it 's a reminder of the importance of looking back through history, going back, and finding the early Church fathers, the thoughts uh, of what the intent of Scripture meant from the original languages. This stuff helps. There's so many hard to understand Bible texts. I remember as a youth pastor, I had uh, had to teach through the impossible sayings of Jesus and try to explain them to youth. Well, they always go, why, 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 why? Ugh! You know, it's really hard to do. But there's a whole bunch of sayings we just can't understand what they all mean. There's a lot of lot of stories. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And yet, when you start to do a historical look in the background of some of these stories, it all comes to life. Uh, You'll find out in a few minutes when I share another gate that's coming up. Biblical history is important. Knowing what happened in progression, who was alive when. You saw that one chart outside in the wall. Seeing complete history of the world compared to biblical history. What was going on at different times in the world at the time. Like, the Bible world is not the center of the universe. There's other stuff going on, Egypt and Asia and you name it, all over the place. And that chart's really cool. It kind of gives you a perspective what was going on during Nehemiah's time, what was going on through Christ's time, what was going on through King David's time. Just, It's worth looking. Take a, take a peek at that uh, huge, huge poster out there. The early church fathers, taking a look at what they believed and taught, especially in the first five centuries, really a big deal. Athanasius. Polycarp, these guys, what did they see? What did they believe the words of Jesus to mean? God, it's time to go back to some of that old stuff. And some of us were too used to a vending machine style. Internet fast, crazy. What does Google say? There we go. That's what it means. That's scary. There's a lot of options out there. In fact, I think the best things my theology professor taught, he showed us multiple perspectives on different ways to see the scriptures different types of theology instead of just having one especially here's an example if you're in let's say a baptist college bible college or something like that you're going to get their way of what they want you to believe and that's their bent that's how it works if you go to a pentecostal one same thing you're going to get their bent exactly of what they want you to believe if you go to whatever it doesn't matter which one they all have a bent and that's fine it's when you start to say, no, they're all wrong. They're all wrong. Mine's the only right one. Well, if that's true, then we're all wrong. If you think about it, right? I, had to, I saw a hilarious post about hell. Of, uh, what? It's, I haven't told you yet. <laughs> Uh, The idea was, uh, if you get logical about hell, this is a chemist who is uh, 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 saying this, I I might post it because it's funny, well maybe I won't. Um, um, But the one part was, uh, if all religions say that if you don't believe them, then you're going to hell. So that means everybody's going to hell because they all, uh, somebody's wrong, everybody's wrong according to somebody else. So it's very, very interesting. I'm not giving a theology on hell right now, I'm just saying it it was a joke, all right. All right, Jeremiah six sixteen says, This is what the Lord says. Stop the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. This is where you also find wisdom in speaking to those who've gone on before you, who've had a lot more experience in life. Um, I cannot believe they hired me as a youth pastor. I'm just shocked as I look back at the progression of learning that has happened since then. Like, how, how can we know everything? And yet you come out of Bible college, you're ready to take on everybody. You know more than everyone because you're schooled now and you're, you're, you're absolute about what you believe, only to start to grow up. Okay, then this thing called life experience comes in. Oh, there are other beliefs and ways to understand this text? No way. And I've come into that in the last couple of years as well. We all—we better have. We all must continue to grow. Ask questions. Even, like I said, speak to those who've been in the faith for a long time, and they too should be growing continually. Get the wisdom. Get insight. Especially with new ideas that come up—is that a new teaching or is it new to you? Big difference. Big difference. Old gate. It's worth going back. Valley gate. Valley Gate is a kind of like a picture of uh, trials in life. You know, you got the hills and valleys of life, and you go down the valley, and oh, it's it's hard. Uh, I you know the the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, I go through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a valley, not a dead end. It's a valley, not a dead end. We go through dark valleys, and it's important to remember that because you can lose sight of what's really important, what's really good. Um, if you've ever been on a high mountain, uh, nothing really grows up on mountains, especially the top with snow, like it's snow-covered, right? The real mountains, okay? Not, not around here. <laughs> it, nothing grows up there, but in the valleys they sure do. That's where fruit is produced through the ups and downs of life. It's, it's pretty important. Okay, next one. This one's going to be the fun one. I will use the biblical word. That's what I just said. I will use the biblical word, dung or refuse gate. Uh, Poop is another word. Um, And then you have all your other uh, very interesting words that can be used for that. If you're a farmer, keep quiet. All right. So this particular gate is where all the crap gets cleaned out. (laughs) Crap stands for Christian Rules and Procedures. Just kidding. It's just a joke. But the dung gate was real. This was the place where all the refuse, all the garbage was taken out. Uh, it was burned out there. It was continually being burned. Um, in fact, uh, uh, the Hebrew word is it's called the valley of Hinnom. Anybody know that one? Valley of Hinnom. Translated into Greek, it's "Gehenum, or "Gehenna. Gehenna. Anybody know what that word is in English? Or let me rephrase that. What has the Bible translated, English translations used, uh, what's the word the English translations use for Gehenna instead of what it should be? Hell. That's, and yet it says hell, but it's Gehenna. It was an actual place, a place of continually burning. In fact, it was in this valley that the, the old kings, they, they did their child sacrifices there. They burned babies to their gods, the god Molech and all that. This is the actual place. It was outside down here in the valley. It was a literal place. We forget that. It's also a place of refining. Where The fire cleans it up and it goes away and it detoxifies and gets rid of the impurities too. This is a tough gate. But it also produces fruit in our lives. Going through tough stuff, going through hell. Now you can say, I go, I've been going through hell, man. You know, if you're going through this progression, we, we have tough things that happen in our lives. I, some people have said, you know, I, I don't want to go to hell, but I feel like I'm living it right now because of all the pressure and pounding of their mind and of their soul. It's a hard thing. It's part of life. This is a progression of life in many ways. Notice it's going down. But there's a turn. There's something exciting coming called the Fountain Gate. The Fountain Gate uh, was located extremely close to the Dung Gate. Um, after kind of a valley experience where rubbish in our lives is cleared out and true faith comes out, because that's what the Dung Gate does. It, it purges out all the stuff that shouldn't be in our lives. God allows stuff to happen and works with what the stuff. Even the bad decisions we make, he works with that to still bring out something beautiful in our lives. This fountain gate speaks of a spirit-filled life. It was a, a tunnel underneath of water coming in. Um, Herod used that. Uh, if you do a little bit of history, you, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with the, with the water coming in. It's like an entry of water, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, but this reflects the spirit-filled life, living water. Um, I think it was at this gate or the next one. Hang on. Yeah, it was at this gate. Jesus did a... He, he, he healed some person. I forget who it was now, but in one of the stories, that's where he does one of his miracles, is at this gate, the living water, fresh water, a change of life. Um, next, we have the water gate, which is similar, but it's not. It's actually more of a pooling of water. It's a collection where you get the water. You have the, the entrance of the water, but then where do you draw from? And this is the water gate where people came and got their water. Uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, being washed by the water of the Word of God. As we read God's Word, and as God makes it come alive in us, things wake up to us, and we see what it means for our lives. Because I've, uh, I've grown up in church, like many of you, and people have clubbed me with certain verses. Here's how you're supposed to live. Here's, here's what the Bible says. Do you live by the Bible? And now I'm realizing I'm living by the Spirit of Christ in me, and He reveals Himself in the Scripture. What the scripture may say to you may say something different to me. Depends on what's going on in our lives. It doesn't always mean the same thing to everybody. It's true. If you've grown at all in your faith, you'll know what I mean. Water gate, next to the fountain gate. The Holy Spirit's the one who makes the word come alive in us personally, allowing cleansing, encouragement, and direction. And of course, we come to what's called the horse gate. Uh, horses were not really used for working and farming. It was, they were using mules and oxen instead. Horses were primarily used for battle, warfare. And this was the place where they had... Uh, uh, in fact, it's funny that the priests lived near the uh, um, uh, horse gate. I don't know why, but if the priests were kind of in charge of the spiritual life of the of the the city, and they were at the front of the battle, so to speak, or right at where, where the action is, starts. It's funny how our spiritual battles that we have in life begin with faith in Christ, or lack of faith. We have spiritual battles all the time. And whether you know it or not, spiritual warfare, what is spiritual warfare? I used to think it's fighting off demons and and. Warding off those curses and and trying to fix disciplines in my life, and oh my goodness, and all the distractions, and it's not that at all. Spiritual warfare is you recognizing who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you and starting to live out of that truth. Putting on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, recognizing you're one with him already the breastplate of righteousness believing already you are righteous not something to attain not something you have to put on that isn't there already it's recognizing what's already there ending with the feet of, foot of ready for peace and, you know standing firm like this is spiritual warfare it's up here not kung fu fighting you know nothing like that it's this is in the mind the battle for the mind And it's work. It's not easy. You guys all know that. And all these three gates are really close together. The East Gate. This is called the Golden Gate as well. It's the Gate of Hope. And it it was known by the Jews for one particular event. Does anybody know what that event is? Messiah would come through it. Interesting. Then we have Ezekiel 44, 1-3 says... The gate that looked towards the east, and it was shut. The Lord said to me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it, for the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. This east gate opens and looks towards the Mount of Olives. And guess which gate Jesus came through on Palm Sunday. Really? You could guess! Yes, you're right, East Gate. Like, the history of all this coming together is very, very, very powerful. I love it. So that's the East Gate. The Inspection Gate. Gate of judgment, gate of inspection. We are called to live our lives with eternity in view, not the here and now. There's more going on than we know. We think of not just short-term, we think long-term, heavenly-minded. Mind you, some people say they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Well, that line is really true for some people. They're absolutely no earthly good because they're so, they talk like they got a Bible stuffed in their throat, and they sound so religious that they have no way to connect with anybody. Like, be real, be honest, be who you are, and let your faith grow. The inspection gate. Hebrews in the New Testament, you'll recall, it says it is appointed unto a man to die once, and after that, judgment. Sometime I want to teach on judgment, because it's not what we think it is. We have a westernized concept of what judgment is. And if you look up that text, you're going to find out pretty quick that Jesus has already judged us by his righteousness. And since he has put away sin, you're not going to be judged because of sin. Huh. Judgment. Well, I'm going to save that for another sermon, because that's, that's a loaded topic, and I want to really lay that one out. But this is also about guarding your mind. Inspection gate. It's about guarding your mind, controlling what goes in, all kinds of... We, we've done a number of messages on this topic. To be careful, you know, to, to guard your mind, to make sure you remember who you are. Remember you're forgiven. Remember you're clean. Um, it's, to inspect, to reflect, to meditate. That's kind of what the inspection gate can remind us of. And it brings us full circle back up to the sheep gate. Back to the cross. Begins with sheep gate, ends at the sheep gate. Let me see if I can see this. Which verse did I, is it? Oh darn, I didn't do that. Oh, it's in here, 32, one second. The other goldsmiths, the other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from that corner to the sheep gate. So it was all now done. This whole chapter 3 is a full building of all of this section right up to that corner. So it starts at the sheep gate, ends at the sheep gate. And I don't think it was an accident that they started with sheep in the story. Christ is the centerpiece. He's the centerpiece of history. I cannot help but constantly be reminded that when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he, when he stood there and Elijah and Moses stood on either side of him, the disciples were there, hey, let's build you a temple. Let's build you a thingy, something. Oh, we can, you know, we'll do sacrifices for, for, for these guys. And they heard God's voice. And God said, this is my son. Listen to him. Not Moses who represents the law, a partial revelation of who God the Father is. Elijah represents the prophets. Also, a better revelation, but definitely not complete. Jesus came as the complete revelation of who his Father is. This is critical. My whole Christian world has been turned upside down because I read the Bible flat Everything is equally the same. Oh, and then you suddenly have conflict. Well, how come this, the God over here is described that way? It that's, was he schizophrenic? Was he having a bad mood for a couple centuries? And, and now he's a you know, good cop, bad cop. Jesus is the good cop. And God the Father is a bad cop. What's the story? Now I'm realizing everything's pointing to Christ. It always has. Even the Holy Spirit points to Christ in everything. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Philippians. Philippians 3, verse 12. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. This is out of the Passion Translation. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into His abundance, so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget of all the past as I have fastened my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So, let all who are fully mature have this same passion. And, if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires... God will reveal it to them and let us all advance together to reach this victory prize following one path with one passion. You've probably never heard it in that translation before, so I'm going to read it in the more familiar one. It's the run for the prize one. Remember that one? Some of you do. Okay. So Philippians 3. And there's something really powerful that uh, uh, it's actually a big wake-up call. Hang on a sec here. Uh, Is that the New Testament? Just kidding. Verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or I've already reached perfection, but I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I still... I, still, I am still not all that I should be. I am focusing, focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. Who do you rely on for your strength, for your growth? Sometimes we want to help others grow real bad. So much so we shove stuff on them. You know, we we keep throwing scripture verses at them or compel them with spiritual guilt to grow and all that stuff. But something powerful on this screen caught me by surprise and I didn't read it like this before, and it's this. So if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. God is the author and perfecter of your faith. The faith you have is a gift. You don't attain faith, you receive it. We live by the faith of the Son of God. Not faith in the Son of God as some of our English translations say. The original languages say we live by the faith of the Son of God. Any faith we have is a gift to us. So whatever measure you have right now, that's been a gift to you. And some of us just need to look back in our own lives and realize, if God has saved me from a whole bunch of stuff, how did I possibly make it to where I am today? Trust me, if he's got you, he's got your kids. He's got the people you're praying for. It's okay, because he's the one who's going to reveal it to them. Don't be the hindrance. Be the one who loves, because you know you are loved by him. We love because why? he first loved us we're responders he's the initiator he always has been that's critical God's the initiator in our lives lastly 2 Peter one of my favorite favorite texts I'm writing to all of you who share the precious faith we have faith given to us by Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, who makes us right with God. Second Peter chapter 1, just so you know. I'm not making this up. As we know Jesus better, His divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. He has called us to receive His own glory and goodness. And by that same mighty power, He has given us all of His rich and wonderful promises. You lack nothing. You have been given everything right now. Everything you need for godly living has already been given to you. You lack nothing. The problem is we don't believe it, therefore it won't come out. But it's there. He has promised that you will escape the decadence all around you caused by evil desires, that you will share in his divine nature, which we do. We're one with Christ. So make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. This is what throws some people off. I'm just resting in Christ, you know. I got everything I need, so I don't have to do nothing. I just kind of, this is wonderful, all right. And yet, he's saying, make every effort. There is work involved. It's not self-effort. It's inspired effort by Christ in you. As he triggers ideas in you, respond to them. Hey, that's what you want me to do? You want me to go help that person? You want me to do this thing? Do this for my family, for my wife, my kids? Sure, I'll do it. And that's responding by his power, not self-effort. So make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your faith, which was a gift, remember? It was your gift. Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Wow, imagine that. Knowing God leads to self-control. <laughs> Any problems here with that? <laughs> self-control leads to patient endurance. Patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to, listen to this, love for other Christians. And finally, you will grow to have a genuine love for, Everyone. Everyone. Even those people you can't stand. (laughs) Only God can do that. Do you see the progression? It's powerful. The more you grow like this, the more you will become productive and useful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, those who fail to develop these virtues are blind or at least very short-sighted. They have already forgotten that God has cleansed them from their old life of sin. Past tense. Done. You are forgiven. That's good news. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove That you really are among those God has called and chosen. Doing this, you will never stumble or fall away, and God will open wide the gates of heaven for you to enter into his eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I plan to keep on reminding you of these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth. Yes, I believe I should keep on reminding you of these things as long as I live. That's a lot of reminding because we forget. The journey of grace. You will have upsets. You'll have your faith shaken. You're going to question things you were taught. You're going to dismiss some things and you're going to gain new things. Let God be in charge of the adding and deleting. Don't be afraid. He's big enough to get your attention and bring you full circle. Even through the valleys, even when all the crap's hitting the fan at the dung gate, even when you... Then begin to experience the living water that is in you. Begin to live that out. Life is a journey. The Christian walk is a journey. So when you see others struggling, just recognize they're, on a, they're at that one of the gates of having a hard time. Go love them. Don't judge them. You yourself have needed grace and patience for your wrestlings, haven't you? I have. And sometimes there isn't a safe person to talk to but some of the questions. I've been having a lot more safe conversations in the last couple years than ever before. I don't have to have all the answers either. I just get to be an ear. (laughs) So show grace and kindness to those who are growing. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these gates. And I want to pray for those who are at a difficult gate right now, who are at a place of ruin. Either their faith is ruined or they feel they have no faith. Will you be their support, their encouragement? Will you be the one who reminds them of the goodness you have put into them already? Will you remove the false guilt and the shame which have no place in our lives and remind us of your goodness? And remind us you love us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.